Hello and welcome to the Hash Rugby Chat. What's been going in the pool, going on in the pool stages? Yes, we're going to be talking basically Rugby World Cup all over again, um, more and more and more of it. <coughs> and as we're at the end of the pool stages, we thought we'd have a look back and see what had been happening, not game by game, but kind of you know your favourite moments and all of that kind of stuff. And when I say we, that's because John O'Connor's joining me. How are you doing, sir? Good day, mate. How are you doing? Not bad, not bad. So. Um, before we actually get on to all of that, though, I would like to say mm-hmm. a big thank you to a certain um, Willie Smith, who um, has become the latest Patreon or supporter of Driving Mall. Uh, he decided to get in at the, um, uh, the, the the coffee level of $5 a month. So um, <laughs> thank you very That's much, very cool. Willie, for uh, becoming a, a uh, supporter of Driving Mall. And um, hopefully you're watching. Good on you, Willie. Yep. Um, so yes, so that's um, uh, so yes. Thank you to him. Um, also, another thing that's, that was really nice um, was uh, something on that on, on YouTube where I'd uh, put up a, a, an interview that I had with um, Ben Herring, who is the head coach for Otago, and Jeff uh, commented, having watched so-called professional journalists interview leading rugby coaches at the Rugby World Cup. It's refreshing to see a chap ask an interview with genuine enthusiasm, insights, and intelligence regards the local competition. So, thanks. Did thanks you do that. that interview, Paul? Sorry? Did, Did you, you do, do that interview? Yes, I, I, I showed it to you the other day. This is quite on YouTube about my interview. Jeez. Oh. Sorry, I was, of course you did that interview. It's just, it's just this comment about uh, enthusiasm, yes, uh, insights, and intelligence, and I was going... Oh dear! Oh, yes, me. of course. Dear That's well done. Well done, mate. Oh, oh dear! All these lovely comments. Um, uh, there is space down below in the comments section for all of your hate comments about John and all your love comments about me. It's all allowed. So yeah, looking, looking, looking forward to reading those later. Um, so John, uh, yeah, you, uh, we're going to have a chat about um, the Rugby World Cup pool stages. So, what's been your favourite moment of the uh, the pool stages so far? Well, I think the, the most enjoyable moments has got to be between the win again. They're both Japan rugby team moments. Either the win against Ireland or this winning uh, against Scotland. Uh, the, the Scotland game maybe the not maybe for me definitely the best game of the tournament so far, and the best game at least we know of the round robin. Of the pool gaps, I'm mixing up my analogies here. Of the pool gaps, and they left it the best for last. But there also was such joy in that victory over Ireland as well. So I would say it's between those two for me. Between those two, other ones um, is has got to be the uh, the Namibian um, post-match interview, uh, where he just shows the uh, the the emotion of beating. Um, Fiji, uh, that was just a massive. Uh, sorry, Uruguay interview, not Uruguay. Uruguay. Yeah, not, Uruguay. not, yeah, not going to say the Uruguay post-match interview. Um, oh, good, then, you yeah. gave me such a surprise. Uh, <laughs> I dropped the screen. <laughs> um, that was a that that was a wonderful moment uh, from that, showing all of that. Yeah, say so all the emotion and, and, and what it meant and how much effort they put into that uh, that one game was uh, was fantastic. Um, the uh, Alex agrees with you. Uh, yeah, uh, well, he he went with um, 
Japan beating Ireland was his favourite moment mm-hmm. of it. Um, Christopher also, yeah, Japan, Ireland and uh, Fiji, Uruguay, Uruguay, Fiji uh, were, were, were great moments. But I'd love to also hear your moments of your favourite tweet or your favourite thing you've seen um, players doing. And actually also the one you've hated the most. What's been the most annoying thing you've seen on Twitter? Because um, one of the ones I found annoying has got to have been the World Rugby's continuous respect videos and comments of um, just because a player shakes another player's hand. It's kind of, guys, guys, just... I know we, we talk about the, the rugby values. Um, yeah. But let's not get uh, let's not get too carried away or, or, or too up our own backsides about some of it sometimes. Hmm. I think... Uh... It's easy to forget that that is the standard fare in rugby, right? That's what's happening at club games, at school games, but especially, I would say, in the heart of rugby, which is in the clubs. That's what's happening every week around the world, wherever the rugby season is on, is we seven kinds of snot out of each other, and then we embrace and uh, go and have a beer, you know? Um, I, th- I think we need to drill down this figure. So, 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 what are the seven kinds of snot? The um, <laughs> we've got green snot, red snot. Oh, well, I've got those two. The um, <laughs> the the. I'm so, sorry, snot. <laughs> oh dear. The, the, so, was so sore, snot. The sore. <laughs> <laughs> There's the, um, she's never, never coming, coming back, back. snot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, dear me. Um, there's the, and then, of course, there's the, like, the, the most, the saddest snot of all. I, I dropped the ball, the, snot. I, let's see. I support England, snot. Oh. <laughs> dear me, we might have to put you on a five-minute timeout for that one. Um. Charlene's comment, yeah, um, found the yeah the Japanese team trying to get through the, the the pond of water to get to do their captain's run was uh, mm. was, was was hilarious. Um, I obviously sat at the same time, but you had all these players trying to tiptoe their way and find, and then you had and then Leach just running straight through it, splashing. It's gone like, yep, yeah, that's how you get through the water. Oh <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, dear me, yeah, Chris makes a good point that that's um. World Rugby social media is not made for rugby fans, uh, but more the casual viewers, parents, and people new to the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is true. Um, uh, that, 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 is, that is true. Um, Jordan Clark. Oh, TJ Piranara's think... try. That was brilliant, that try. Um, it was well, great to see uh, TJ Piranara. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that was extraordinary. When he was playing at, um, uh, playing at first 5'8", he wasn't even playing at, um, uh, at halfback either. Uh, which was great. Yeah, no, was, wasn't he playing on the wing? I thought he came on for Geordie Barrett and then played at first 5-8 and you had um, and we had Weber at, um, uh, um, at 9. I, 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 thought he, I thought he was playing on the wing. Um, hence the reason why he was in that position. But uh, be that as it may, uh, he was it's, playing out of position it's, another, anyway. yeah. it's, it's another indicator of what we were talking about when uh, we spoke about the difference between somebody like Scotland, who plays a wonderful brand of rugby, 
versus a team like New Zealand who plays that same rugby that served as the inspiration for that brand, but yet couples that with athletes. So here you have Peronara, who is halfback, who's able to not only have those skills, but also the speed to play in that wide channel. And, uh, and that's the real difference, is when you not only have a great, great, great game plan, and you have a, a team that can execute at least the plan so far as skills are concerned, but you also have the athletes to be able to execute in terms of speed, agility, strength, winning contact, all of those kind of things. Yeah. Actually, actually yeah, Japan walking through water to train uh, and Scotland sitting back threatening lawsuits shows the mindset of who is truly up for the game. Um, I think there's been an awful lot made, an awful lot of things being said over the last uh, week that where basically journos uh, have ha heard a rumor from somebody. Now, who that's from is anybody's guess. Uh, and yeah. kind of actually what really is going on is yeah. a, um, a, a it's, it can be totally different. So were, I mean, did New Zealand say we don't want to, we, 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 don't, we don't want to delay our game in case we have a shorter turnaround for semi-finals. Well, according to social media, yes. According to World Rugby, no. Um, Ireland are in the process of thinking about suing uh, um, Jones, who writes for Stephen Jones, who writes for The Times about something he wrote uh, in the Sunday Times because apparently it's, it's absolute rubbish. Um, so there's yeah, there's a lot of I, yeah. I don't know how much of these things really are. Um, uh, really, really aren't going on. How much is just? I need to fill uh, the, the newspaper space, so I'll yeah. so I'll write it. I, th I think it's it's really important for us to educate the viewers and the listeners who are big rugby fans about how this media engine works. You've got guys who are employed to produce copy. They need to fill a certain amount of centimeters of print space in the few uh, newspapers that still produce printed editions or a certain amount of uh, articles to go online on a website. And the key is clicks. Yeah, so I to generate clicks. That's it. So I used to write a, a series called uh, The View from the Couch for Rugby 365. So it was a weekly discussion piece, and and that's this is how I learned. I, I didn't have formal journalistic training, but this is how I learned. And my editor was a, a hard-nosed, old-school journalist from way back uh, that had done the beat work and all that kind of thing, and now was editor of Rugby 365. And when I say, I mean, he looked like a journalist. You could just see him, um, you know, propping up the end of a bar, of a bar with the with a pint and a, and, a, and a ciggy trailing out his corner of his mouth, right? Um, he looked like he'd been through the ringer at times. Well, I suppose you can't be, if you've dealt with some of the, the administrators in South African sport, then, you know, you can't blame them. <laughs> Any sport. But, <laughs> Not just that. <laughs> so, um, you, you write a column, or you write, especially the guys who are in, the beat work, the guys who are doing the daily grind of producing articles, um, they are looking for clicks. They are looking for, and, and to be fair to them, they don't always write 
well, they're very seldom right. The headline, you can make a suggestion to the editor or the copy editor, and and maybe your suggestion is taken. But generally, you can write your piece, and you've got no control over what the headline is. And the headline is supposed to draw you in and make you click, to make you bite. Because especially in the, the web world, which is where most of, of course, our viewers at the moment will be based, you're looking to generate traffic. And the more traffic you have through your site and through your column, and, then, and hence your site, the more your advertisers will pay. So you either you either write something, and now I'm generalizing now. There's yes. different models, but you're looking for traffic. It's just like you would be. And let's be honest. This is not this is not new. I mean, sensational headlines as you're driving past on the side of the you know the the traffic lights. There's a sensational headline prompting you to buy from the old school news seller, right? The old paper boy, whatever it was. It's just the same idea. But the idea being that they're trying to draw you in. And now they are in this. When I say they, let's step back and say we as the rugby fans are in a heightened state of frenzy because it's World Cup time. And we're looking for content. We're looking for things to read. More so than, uh, let's say, the general rugby season in the middle of super rugby. We're interested, but not like now. And so they're looking to produce content all the time. And something that can possibly spark controversy, like Ireland threatens to sue IRB, right? Beautiful headline, clickbait and people are in. The sad thing is that the old school, and I'm speaking now as somebody who hasn't done journalism training, but I know the principles, the old school about having a backup source, so even if you've got a confidential source following that up, Right, and making sure you either have a second source or that you and no, you have a second source and then you present a right of reply to, for instance, before you publish that, you get hold of the Ireland Rugby Board or their spokesman or their media and say, do you have a response? We're going to print this. That's just gone by the wayside, right? Yeah. Because it's no longer about being right, it's about being first. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the internet has sped up that that process. You don't have um, several hours until the uh, until publishing deadline for which to check all that kind of stuff. You have yeah seconds to to, to click. And I'll be honest, that's what I, I, I've I've jumped on that to a certain degree myself. So hence we do the um, post game reactions literally as the whistle goes. I don't wait, sit down, rewatch the game, write notes like some yeah. other people do because hey, that means I'm I'm first out there. Yeah. Um, and hence, I do call it a reaction rather than a view show. And if we work together, I have to hold Paul back and say, please, can we at least see the post-match interview? Because <laughs> he is all yep. ready to start live streaming, uh, like the final whistle goes, you mm -hmm. know. He's constantly pressing update, update on Spark Sports, a, a lagging coverage, right, to make sure we're as close as possible. And he would be on within a minute of the final whistle. Now, I keep on saying I'd just like to see what the captains say, please, you know. Um, so, yes, you, you're 100% right, mate. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's about it's, yeah, it, it is now, about now, first. now. Yeah. Um, sorry, mate, yeah. So, it's, it, yes, yeah, I wouldn't believe everything that's written um, or everything that's said um, either. 
Um, Ollie Brown kicks us, kicks us off some of the um, standout players. Uh, he mentions um, Semi Red Rada uh, for Fiji, uh, mm. who has yeah had, a, had been playing absolutely wonderfully. Mm. Um, Christopher Edwards Bay, George Ford. Yeah. Yes, George Ford has been playing well, but he's a player who does play well and looks good behind a pack that's going forwards. Now England are going to be starting playing some more serious games. Let's see how good George Ford is. Um, it's just from here on in. What, what, about, what if we do this? What if we uh, pose a question and in the last uh, five, ten minutes we can address who's been player of the tournament you want, so you want to leave it till then? Okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, we've, got, we've got lots of, lots of suggestions already in the, in the chat. Yeah. Send in your thoughts. And if you can help us out, send in not only your nominations, but also why you think. So send in who you think has been the player of the tournament so far and why. Try not, try, I know it's difficult, try to take off your team's colored underpants that you're wearing. Um, I suspect that uh, Paul has been in tighty whities for the last month, right? Um, but yeah, try and try and look at the game from the perspective of who. Let's let's give some some points. Who has startled you? Who has made you go wow? Who has stood head and shoulders above everybody else? Yep, we've we've, we've, quite, we've got quite a big, big list here of those. If you. <laughs> So when you say, who is somebody that you saw and you thought that is special, right? That I would pay money to see, right? That player just brings me joy to watch him play. Cool. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll crack through those in – actually, we'll do it in about 10 minutes to your time to write those in, um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to, back to that. One of the uh, someone also mentioned that actually one of their highlights has been Chekhov's meltdowns in his post-match interviews. Now, to me, I really despise that. I find that, I find that brings actually the game into disrepute. So I'm, I'm not I'm not a fan of, uh, of of coaches having to go at refs post-game. Where do you stand on Chekhov's post-match reviews? Good or bad? I'm not a fan. Right. Um, I think that it's it's valuable for a team to have a coach that is calm, right? A coach that is reasoned and a coach that is analytical. I have met Heineken Mayer. I've chatted to him on the sidelines of a high school game while he was watching his son. Uh, my, my, I took my son over, wanted to meet him, and we wished him well. He's a very nice man. By all accounts, people who've worked with him and have been in organizations uh, for some length of time where he has set them up and, and instilled a culture there. He does wonderful things. He creates a rugby family of support. I know a friend of mine, Warren Brosnan, uh, played for him at the tail end of Warren's career and said that when they lost, they would all get a text on the, on the Sunday night after losing telling them that um, uh, it, although it's not nice to win, uh, that they were still valued and it's not the end of the world and uh, we'll work on this, we'll get better. 
some, uh, uh, they had a scripture there talking about the value of people, you know, from the Bible and saying you're cared for, you know. It's, you're not just cared for when you win. So by all accounts, a really good guy. But I don't think it's helpful to see your coach going bananas, right? No. And, and I was worried sometimes with Hanukkah May that he was going to, you know, burst a valve in the, co- <laughs> in the coach's box with that, you know. I thought, there's a gasket that's going to blow here any second, right? Um, and you know what? When, you, when a coach is like that and the time comes where a team needs a rev, it's far more effective. When they see that you're angry, but you're not angry all the time, you know? I think that's, that's where, where it's effective, right? You need to be common. And the other thing that strikes me about Checker is it seems to me to be deflection. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of accepting responsibility for what my team does and what my coaching staff and I have done or not done in order to win this game. Now, right. deflection can be a good thing. And, and we, I mean, Eddie Jones is a, is a master at deflecting pressure away from his players and setting yes. the new story. No, but, but the way he does it, the way he does it is to talk about something else in a way that the, that the, that the, um, the journalists will write about it. It's not about blasting or shouting or blaming somebody else. It's about but what he does, saying something but controversial. But... There's two things that, that make Eddie Jones special in what you're talking about. One, one is that he's wry. It's like done in a sort of like very dry sense of humor, like not in a wink, you know, kind of. It's done, it's done with some intelligence and humor. But most importantly, he's doing it to deflect pressure off his players. Mm. The thing that strikes me about Checker is he's, it appears to be deflecting pressure off himself. Yep. Um, a couple of comments in here. Uh, yeah, Steve Hansen and Heineken Mayer are apparently great friends, which is interesting to hear. Yes. Um, I, you may not be aware of that, but when Heineken Mayer took over, um, there was already, for many decades, there'd been a, a lot of respect between the All Blacks and the Springboks, but it went to another level after Heineke Mayer took over. And it was driven in large part by Heineke Mayer uh, wanting to foster a, a, a sense of appreciation and respect between the two teams. And that's been there a long time, normally around certain players. Like Skulk Berger was immensely popular with most teams that he played with, but he and... Oh, help me out here. The really good blindside flank who tragically died in the car accident in France. Oh, um, I know he mean. It'll come to me in a second. Yes. Michael Jones. Right. No, Michael Jones? No. Yeah. No. No, it'll come to me. He often had his hair bleached. Um, Anyway, I think it was Tongan from background. Anyway, um, they were great mates. And um, after... Again, knocking seven kinds of snot out of each other. Jake White wrote in his book there'd be a knock at the door of, of the change room and it would be him, this all black, standing outside saying, is Skulk ready to go because they're going out for a beer <laughs> together? So it was there, but as a, as a team and as an organization, as a coaching staff, it was really fostered between 
Heineke Meyer and Steve Hansen. Uh, right, Jerry, so, Jerry Collins is obviously who you're talking about. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, Jordan, thank you. for that. Thank you, Jordan. Um, yeah, and, and also the, I mean, the other, other point, Charlene says, yeah, that um, against, uh, it's what Steve Hansen used against Russia at halftime. Again, he doesn't use it often. And, and the players actually came out and said, yes, it was an old school roasting. And it was like, okay, yep. Yeah. It's something he pulls out of the locker occasionally when he needs it. Unlike exactly. being the standard. Yeah. Every week or even every third week, hmm. it doesn't have the same No. Right? right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and so one of the things that is the, the, that we're going to come across, I, I put a tweet out about this, in three weeks' time, we're basically going to see an end of an era for international rugby. We have three we have three coaches who are all going to stop being head coaches uh, who have pretty much def- who have between them have been sort of some of the, def- the best coaches over the last decade in international rugby and probably and, and yeah. helped define it. So we've had we've got Steve Hansen um, obviously we'll, we'll finish up. We've got Warren uh, with with obviously with the All Blacks. We've got Warren um, Gatland who'll be finishing up with Wales. Um, and then we've got um, uh, Schmidt, not Schmidt, Schmidt yeah, Schmidt uh, with Ireland, who's finishing up. Three guys who have taken their teams. All three. No, it's, it's, it's no, it's no um, coincidence that those three teams have all been ranked number one in the last couple of months uh, in the world, mm-hmm. uh, because as I say these these are these are guys who over the last eight to ten years, and depending which one you talk, or eight to twelve years, depending which one you're talking about, just a hell on the bin there have been at the top of their game. Uh, and so, and if you look at all those three, they're not ones that are shouting uh, all the time um, and losing yeah. their call. They're all guys who keep their call, um, know how to press different buttons when they're required. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the international rugby is going to be, going to have a hole in it for, for, for a while as the kind of, the mantle of those three guys is, is, is replaced because, yeah, let's say they have been three of the top coaches for the last mm-hmm. decade. Uh, and, I mean, Gatland, I think, can get quite fiery, but he seems to have actually calmed down over the years. He's got calmer and calmer. Um, but if you think how long he's been, what's it, 10 years with Wales? Uh, 12. 12? Yeah. 12 years. If you think that Hansen has been with the All Blacks, first as an assistant. He's been with them since 2004. It's 15, it'll be 16 seasons, yep. right, that he's been with them. Schmidt has been eight years, right? I think Schmidt's eight years, yep. Yes. These are extraordinarily long periods, right? Um, I think Jake White's 2004 to 2007, those four years, four seasons, was the first time since South Africa's return in 91, 92, the first time that they had somebody longer than two years as the coach. Right? So that was four. And so here we're talking about guys with eight, 12, 15 years worth of involvement at coaching level, 16 years worth of involvement. Now I'm going to bang a drum that I started banging a week ago. They're all Kiwis. Right? Yeah, yep. But, he, what but, but, but I mean, also, if you look what? at if we, if, we, if we go around to the other countries, um, England, the, the, the uh, they, they change their coach every four years, pretty much. 
Uh, we've seen Scotland do something pretty similar with with with, with Vern Cotter and uh, Townsend's been in there for four for four years. France, well, they 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 turn over more frequently than that. Australia, um, again, it's pretty much one World Cup cycle. Shaw Czech has got mm-hmm. one extra year in there. Uh, all these other countries, yeah, they you get one cycle if you're lucky, if if you're doing well. Uh, yeah, this whereas the, the the truly successful ones are given two, three cycles. But let's be honest. All three of these guys that have had these multiple cycles are Kiwi coaches, mm-hmm. and they've had success. And the, the drum that I'm going to bang again is that I firmly believe that the best thing for the game was that New Zealand won in 2011 and New Zealand won in 2015. Taking the 2011 final out of the picture, because I think as well as... France played out of their skins in that 2011 final. And as brilliant as Dusatois was, I think he's criminally underrated as a player. I think he should be valued as one of the great flankers in the history of rugby. Right? As, as great as France was, I think New Zealand in that final had terrible nerves. And they didn't play to their normal potential because of sheer nerves and the weight of expectation. So taking that final out, that 8-5 win out of the, of, of the reckoning, look at the rest of the tournament in 2011, look especially in 2015 at the style of rugby that was played. And New Zealand have smashed the idea that World Cups are won primarily on defense, limiting mistakes, kicking for territory, and taking penalties or drop goals. They've smashed that idea, right? Now, if you see, countries have embraced the New Zealand style of play. Now, the problem is is that New Zealand is always moving. So I heard a great interview with Wayne Smith probably three years ago. It's the best interview with a coach I've ever heard, where he said in this extended interview Sorry, even better than my one with with Ben Herrick. Sorry, Sorry, I hadn't heard that one yet. I hadn't heard that one the best long-form interview, let's put it that way. And what he said at one point, the thing that stuck with me, is he said that the New Zealand coaching staff, the, the all-black coaching staff, project how they believe rugby is going to be played in four years' time. They project how they think the rules will be adjusted. They project how they believe that the game will be ready in four years' time. And they are preparing their players now. And when I say their players, I'm sure this filters all the way through Super Rugby because they liaise with all the coaches. They are preparing their players for the way they believe rugby will be played and the way the rules will be structured in four years' time. So New Zealand is always, and plus on top of that, they are looking every year for every player in every position and every facet of the game to improve by 2 to 3%. So they're looking at these small incremental gains, uh, gains in each player's performance, in each area of each player's performance, and in scrums, that their scrums gets 2 to 3% better every year, every year. So they are moving. So if you want to catch New Zealand, I'm talking overall time. Everybody loses a game now and then, right? Everybody does. Real Madrid does, Barcelona Everybody loses a game every New Zealand have, yeah, I mean, the All Blacks for... Definitely for the past uh, 
well, definitely since professionalism really uh, have been setting really? the standard for everyone else. Really? Now, occasionally there have been other teams that have, that have stepped up. You got the Street Box in 2007, you got England in 2003, but over the whole, they've been setting the standard. Um, yes, there's little windows yeah. of excellence, right? And but, it, even if you go back to the previous hundred years, the things that people don't remember is that New Zealand had an overwhelming win record against England, Australia, France, uh, Scotland, uh, Wales, uh, an incredible win record over them in the previous century as well, right? The only one they didn't was against the Springboks, and they have just left the Springboks in the dust since uh, professionalism. So... What they it's it's one thing to say we want to catch up to them. You need to aim past them, but that's a whole another it's a whole another discussion. But the point being is what they did for the game that was so great is they showed that playing into space because it's not just about playing ball and hand rugby. It's about playing into space. People underestimate how much New Zealand are prepared to kick. New Zealand will will move the ball to where there is space if you pressurize them. And, and that's all. This, this, this is something we were talking about at the weekend um, after the uh, the, uh, the the Scotland Japan game was again Japan are trying to play for space, not play for yes. contact, yes. which is which is great to see. And really, but I, really, I have a question for you. What happened on? Sure. Um, what's what's uh, what, what makes France the odd one out of the eight teams in the quarterfinals? I, I could, could just, just go. go. <laughs> <laughs> so, they speak not language, who's, and they are who's, who's coaching they look, Wales? They look human. They look human. Who's coaching Wales? Sure. So, so, so Wales, we've got Gatland, right? Ireland, yes. we've got Smith. Obviously, New Zealand, yes. we've got Hansen. England, you've got Eddie Jones. Um, South Africa, you've got Razi Rasmussen. Um, for Japan, you've got um, Joseph, Joseph. and yeah. who's the other team that's there? Gone blank. Who's the? Uh, oh, Australia, in Australia, you've got um, Checker. Yes. All of those coaches are from the Southern Hemisphere. The only France are the only team with a Northern Hemisphere coach. Thanks, Jordan Clark. Thank you for that. Um, that that that's it. But that's um, very interesting, Jordan. So that yeah, so, so yeah, that's the uh, again. It tells you all about that, that that trying trying to catch up, trying to trying right. trying to, trying to use those ideas. Um, we're seeing that. This is not palatable. I'm sorry, but it's truth. Sometimes you know it's the truth that sets us free. That the style of rugby that is played in the northern hemisphere is not as enjoyable to watch as the style of rugby played on the hemisphere. No matter how much Stephen Jones likes to write his columns, no matter what he says. There is, it is not this, it's not as enjoyable. That doesn't mean the fans aren't fantastic. It doesn't mean that the atmosphere at, its, at a Six Nations game is not terrific and the singing is not breathtaking. But the style of rugby sometimes is like watching paint dry, right? I'm saying every game in the... but interestingly enough, and, and, and again, this comes back to the North, north versus South sort of methodology, um, is the way that Japan... Uh, have, have beaten Ireland and Scotland. Part of that, part of the way is, they've held onto the ball. Japan don't. Yes. It, right. They've held onto the ball and they've kept it by quick attack and also and, and by sprint wide. Ireland and extra chiefs play 
um, a game based on a similar premise of keeping hold of the ball. But they keep hold of the ball by their forwards bashing it up. So you've got the same premise of what, trying to win the game by holding onto the ball and not letting the opposition score by not having the ball. But the, the method of execution by the Northern Hemisphere teams is more forward-based bashing by a Southern Hemisphere coach team in Japan by, by spreading it wide and finding that space. So we, we, we'll, we will win that ruck because there aren't enough people there to steal it. So it's interest, interesting that same, same concept, but the execution, the way you execute it has been different. But, but, Paul, but, Japan play very narrow for large portions of that game. Yep, they do, that's true. So in order to, in order to ensure, uh, this is what I thought was happening, we were discussing this during the game, in order to ensure that they had sufficient cleanness and they weren't going to be turned over because that seven for Scotland was magnificent, right? Mm. They played very close, and they not only played close in the first two, three channels, very often not even the third one, but often the first receiver would would receive the ball and then turn the ball back on the inside, right, for the inside channel here. Even forwards were doing that late in the game, right? I remember seeing that replacement prop who gave such impact off the bench, the one with the bleached hair. He also did that. He was, he was taking the ball and then offloading on the inside, just dropping it off, and they were playing close in. And partly was to ensure that they had sufficient cleaners and they didn't get turned over. And also I think it was so that they could compact the defense before they went wide or before they went to the blind because they made impact on the blind as well. So that's one thing. That's one but. The other but is Scotland... Their third try, and I saw it again, which was a fantastic try. Their third try was created by playing into space and offloading by their tight forwards. It wasn't ball under the jumper, two truckers on either side bash it up and try and beat the advantage line. There were players actually running at space, getting their hands free and offloading the ball to another tight forward who was running to support into a gap to take it again. And then one guy, who the first person who did it, the ground that came back to support and received again. It was fantastic. That is a direct legacy of the way New Zealand has played the last nine years. To see Scotland tight forwards playing into space and offloading the ball and scoring tries, you wouldn't dream of that. We spoke about this other night. You wouldn't dream of that uh, 10, 15 years ago. That is a consequence of New Zealand not only doing it, but winning and winning World Cups. So what they are saying, what they've said to the rest of the world, if you want to beat the All Blacks, you need to score in fives and sevens. Because we are going to be that good that two or three times in this, in this uh, 80 minutes, there's going to be an opportunity, and we are going to take that. We are going to score two to three tries. No matter how good your defense is, you're going to score two to three tries. That's going to happen. And that's going to be anywhere between, let's say, 12 to 21 points just in tries. And if you're going to keep up with us, you need to be able to score tries. And we back ourselves that if you kick in the corner, we are good enough to stop your more. So how else are you going to score? Yep. Right? And that, let's be honest, that is brilliant for the game of rugby. 
because for the casual viewer, he's not a rugby fanatic like we are. When they turn on the game and they see the kind of game that we saw Scotland and Japan, and they, they deserve huge credit. I mean, Scotland was not the better team, but they were Scotland the brave. They came back tremendously. They didn't lie down and die. And you point out those tackle stats were incredible, right? How many tackles? What was it? Hundred over 150 attempted by Scotland, something like 130, 125 attempted by Japan, right? Oh, there was a lot of rugby played in that game. Yes, which talks about the ball being in play, which talks about less stoppages and reset scrums and all of that stuff that just drains the life and flow out of the game. And that speaks tremendously to the skill and commitment to the of the players to keep the ball in hand and to attack and to attack and to attack. And yeah. that is thing for the game. That is good for the game. Um, uh, another kind of topic that's, um, that happens constantly uh, in international rugby, um, Batman asks us, driving all, do you think Wales would be stronger with um, Ellis Jenkins, Toby Fellatow and Rhys Webb? Um, now the answer is, uh, yes, I mean, at least two of those are British and Irish Lions. And any Southern Hemisphere team that has British and Irish Lion players injured is going to be weaker and will be stronger with them. However, mm-hmm. can you name a team at this Rugby World Cup that doesn't have injuries um, and players missing? Um, so, yes, Wales will be stronger with those team, with those players. But I think that applies to just about every team at this yeah. Rugby World Cup um, that there are players who aren't there that would make those teams stronger. Yeah. Um, it's, rugby is a vision sport. It's not a contact sport. Uh, soccer, football is a contact sport. Rugby is a collision sport. And no matter what happens, where there are collisions, at high speed there are going to be injuries. And part of the, one of the reasons why, I'm sorry, I keep on coming back to this, but this is what you should do, right? If you are a, if you're a fledgling software company, it makes sense to look at Coca-Cola, right? And look at their development. One of the things that the All Blacks have done and recognized years ago is the need to build depth because you might wind up in the World Cup final uh, fielding your fourth string first five, fly half, right? And he might kick the, the uh, penalty that wins you a World Cup. Right. Are you building depth in, across the positions? Do you have coherence of thought across the, the coaching structures? And what's amazing about the All Blacks is how often somebody comes into the All Black environment and just fits in seamlessly, right? It's not coincidence. It's planning, structures, and that they're working, they know, they, you know. They, but it also, it doesn't matter how much planning you have in place. Um, the, 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 if you look at the All Blacks, they still came into this tournament not knowing really who their six was um, because of uh, injuries to certain players, players moving overseas, that's, not knowing. That's because the one that should have earmarked 10 years ago was captaining Japan. Well, okay, that's true. Not knowing who their right wing was because Julian Sevilla ran, um, fell out of form, uh, as did Naholo, named on a scudder, was injured. Um, and mm-hmm. suddenly they're looking around. So uh, it doesn't matter how much planning you have in place, there will be one or two, uh, there will be those sort of situations where you have to find someone at the last minute 
um, and try and get them in. But I was talking to the players on the pitch after the Northland game uh, the, the weekend, and one of the things we said was, look, the difference between some of these players who mm-hmm. are at the top and who, are, who, who aren't there is opportunity. If you look at, uh, and just grasping the opportunity when you get it, look at someone like mm-hmm. Big Carl Tuanakafi, who's gone from club rugby, um, not even having a super contract, to being an all-black in one year. Mm-hmm. Sebu Reese, similar. Didn't have a super contract mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. Was an injury cover. One uh, Israel Dag does his knee, has to retire. Suddenly, Sebu Reese mm-hmm. at the Rugby World Cup as a first-choice all-black. Um, mm-hmm. There are good players out there. Out there. They're just sometimes it's a matter of just getting the opportunity to show it uh, yeah. as well. Um, there's been a few um, referee appointments. <laughs> Deep breaths. <laughs> breaths. Okay, give it. Let's hear it. Well, Nigel Owens is refereeing the All Blacks versus Ireland. Well, that's... Blacks, the All Blacks like Nigel Owens, don't they? Yeah, well, doesn't really, to be honest. Uh, but of all the games, England and Australia, um, not England, England and France could be a bit contentious. Um, I don't think South Africa, Wales, I don't think, I don't think South Africa, Japan. Um, Wales and, and Australia played each other. Of all of the games, the games that the game that could get the most touchy, let's call it that way, is probably New Zealand Island. So to put probably your most respected referee on that game is not a bad idea. Barnes must have another one, surely. Oh uh, yeah, Barnes has got another one. Um, trying to which one he's got. Um, I've gone blank now. Um, yeah, but Barnes has got one. Um, oh, the South African, the South African, uh, yeah. the, the fittest riff in the world, he probably has one as well. Yako Piper has got one. Is he one? Yep. And okay. um, the French ref, Garces? No. Oh, no. Is it Garces? Uh, it's not, it, it, or Poit de Poit. Oh, no. I'm going to try and Google, but I'm... I'm, I'm um... <sighs> I um, So I'm just trying to Google to who it is. But anyway, um, look, the, 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 these are the best wrestled. The referees that have best decisions as far as rugby is concerned have been chosen. Um, now, there are some, uh, some combinations that people aren't happy with. Um, uh, Gar says it's apparently uh, yeah, the other the, the, the oh. um, Sorry, I know you hate sports. Let's just be honest. The I'm saying that the better team did not win that game. Absolutely, the All Blacks were the better team lived to win. Right? But Gosses was political. He was diabolical. There's multiple clips of missing stuff, right? right? Multiple clips. Right? There, there, there are clips of all black players, of all blacks pulling the scrum down, elbow on the ground from the Peter Steph to Toya's flank, pointing, saying, Look, look, okay. his elbows on the ground. 
right? what, 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 what I think we'll have to do then um, is make sure the, um, that I don't watch the uh, England-Australia game because they've got three friends and, uh, and Spain as a TMO. So well, I feel sweet because there is a history. I mean, and the other country was the one who just uh, of this. Uh, in a French way. Sorry, I'm I'm, uh, I'm slacking him off. Who refereed Argentina from? Um, I've got that. That's the bad ref direct influence that really aren't going. Sorry, we've been cutting out on our own um, and not, not searched. But anyway, so yes, so look, the referees have been have been announced. I think the most controversial one uh, as is, is going to be that England-Australia game where we've got three French refs and skiing. That's where we're going to get the most uh, comments about refereeing. The other three I'm comfortable with. Uh, yeah. Who's, who's got the... Uh, so that's that's Wales, Wales and Australia. No, no, England-Australia. England-Australia is Australia. Wales is playing? France. Wales is playing France. So, they must, so they'll have Barnes, I think. No, sorry. Yeah, they'll have Wayne Barnes. Wayne Barnes. And, and who is Piper doing? Jakob Piper. So he'll, oh no, Jakob Piper must be doing... So Jakob Piper will be doing Wales-France. And Barnes will be doing um, South Africa, uh, Japan. Because Piper can't do that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just... Uh, this is where I, I just shake my head. And I, I've, I, at times I think the IRB could not organize a piss-up in a brewery. Right? How God says after that opening weekend performance, which they publicly uh, criticize all their referees, right? How he then gets a quarterfinal is if if he's one of the top four refs in the world, then then rugby refereeing is in trouble. I, I cannot believe that they are they're not better options to do that. But anyway. Um, I don't know what uh, what the reasoning was, and of course you you, you cannot delve into it. You don't get any feedback. You don't, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving yeah. moving. Um, yes, yeah, Barnsley, Jeff, Pensacola. Um, okay, cool. So one of the things so we we kick people off and ask at the beginning about players, didn't we? Mm. So John, you kick us off then with your player, whilst I scroll back and find the favourite players. Um, well. I mean, a couple of standouts. Bowden Barrett has been brilliant. Uh, he hasn't been mentioned. Chesney Colby has, but there are question marks about his fitness now. Colby uh, has been um, quicksilver, eye-opening, um, his ability to be plus. Uh, we've seen, uh, when I say Bowden Barrett, I think we almost, he's not mentioned because we almost become used to uh, his greatness. Now, this is the, the unfortunate thing that familiarity breeds contempt, right? But he has been extraordinary, and you can see in the in the coverage and comments by ex-players recognize the difference that he makes. Uh, I've been very impressed with Michael Leach. As yep, not Michael Leach has had some, some, love in, some love in the chat as well um, about the lead brought to the championship. And player, brilliant, right? Um, the two wins for Japan have been excellent. Um, they didn't. They haven't, got, they haven't got to mention, but yes, they are excellent. Apparently, one of them is at the age of twenty-seven is retiring from rugby to uh, finish his 
um, his doctor's degree. Uh, well, after he might be offered a lot of money to carry on playing, right? He might, <laughs> he might be offered a lot of money to carry on playing. Uh, but talk, talking of, um, of, of wingers, uh, Josh Adams for Wales, um, I think he got, yes, did he get a hat trick the other day? Um, so yes. Yeah. But, but he, he was, was also, also, let's be fair, he was, was also, also treated like speed bump, mm. right? So, so he, he, he finished well, um, he, he did, did what was supposed to be a couple of times, times just uh, moan on, on this, right? So there's that, that sign. Yeah. I'm not saying a bad player, and there's a lot of, just ask um, research what it's like to try and tackle Fijians in full flight, right? Uh, so he's not the only one. Uh, when we think of uh, France, uh, they've done some good performances. Gail Ficou was versed in some of the games. But um, yeah, we've, we've um, and, and there's been some good performances, but again, they've been stuttering, haven't they? Yes. As well. Hasn't been like standouts. Uh, in England, I haven't watched all their games, uh, but um, it was good. But when I, when I think, of a player that just has simply been absolutely lights out, brilliant, where you kind of go, Am I, can I believe what I'm seeing? For me, it's been... Yep. Right? The, the Fijian win has been the athlete of the tournament, the impact player of the tournament, um, the most wonderful player to watch, uh, He's, he has been, and it's, and it's a travesty that he's not going to get to play in any further rounds, but I don't think anybody has a percentage. For, for me, in his position, it's been like daylight. It's been him, then daylight, and then all the other wings, right? And not that the other wings are good. That's the point. I'm not saying Colby hasn't been good. The Japanese wings have been, been excellent. But what he's been able to do is he's been able to approach. Every time he got the ball in that game against Wales, it seemed as... Um, the first you could you put your money down. The first uh, defender was not going to, right? Yep. And so yeah. So that that's my vote. Yep. No, he's good. Yep. Other players for Japan, uh, Hori, the hooker. He has been uh, he he's been so, very good. Um, and I was th- this actually we had a uh, as far as. Barnets go as far as haircuts go. This was a, a, a relatively calm rugby world cup, but the 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 his braids done into pigtails is just so hilarious um, for Hori. It looks looks like kind of a, a bit like kind of a schoolgirl kind of pigtails um, for the Pippi Longstocking. Um, sorry, Pippi Longstocking. Pippi Yes, absolutely. Um, so actually, yeah, that's, that's good. Rob. Folks in the chat, um, uh, which have been the most, the, the, the worst hair, hair, haircuts you've seen um, from players? Uh, there was a bleached um, uh, Japanese prop as well uh, that made, meant he stood out, which is quite cool. I quite like. I quite enjoyed that one. Um, yes. Yeah. But um, but yes, yeah, so any any bad haircuts? Let me know. We should actually just yeah cover off on some of the what some of the themes we've had. Oh, so over the last three weeks, so we had the theme obviously of, of, of refereeing and red cards that that came and went. Uh, or hopefully, it's dying down now. We've kind of um, had the theme then of um, of the upsets because they they happen in week two with your 
Japan over Ireland and um, Uruguay over over Fiji. Something had some we had some some upsets in there, and then we then the, sort of the last week obviously it was all about the weather and um, and postponed games and lots of people throwing their toys out the pram going that basically the integrity of this tournament had been destroyed by all the red cards and by all the uh, and by cancelled games and things. But to my mind, I think the rugby has been absolutely enjoyable uh, mm. and it's been a fantastic tournament. So, yeah, I, I think there, there, there are a bunch of people looking for things to say be negative about, but those have been the kind of the main kind of theme news stories in there. I think let's, let's separate out some stuff. There are clear signs that rugby, the game, is healthy. The gap between the top teams and the lower teams has closed. Mm-hmm. 
speed, unloading in contact, playing into space, scoring in fives and sevens. These are all good, good things, right? Uh, what we should do is separate them out of the two things. One is the correct emphasis by World Rugby on protecting the players. It's easy to forget that 10 years ago when they started emphasizing that you couldn't take somebody out when their feet were off the ground, everybody went, this is going to destroy the game. Now it's taken as given. If you flip somebody up in the, in the air while they, you, know, you take their feet out from under them, whether that's in a line-out or, or when they're jumping for the ball, you're in deep trouble. People used to be smashed like that. Now it's, it's, a, it's a given. It's easy to, that, that, that that's going to get you a car. It's easy to forget that in 2011, we had huge controversy with a red card in the semi-final to the captain of Wales for a tip tackle. Yeah, and all this stuff has, has has gone away because basically the players train differently, just, so they just don't. And, and it's and we'll, the same thing will happen with the head high tackles. The training will change, and the, the instinct of the players will change, and it'll all be fine. Yep. And, and the thing um, to say to all the old school people like myself, and you've played the game and whatever, is this: just calm down and realize that these red cards are not protecting the player who just got tackled. It's already done. The deed is done, right? You can't go back and reverse that contact. What those are for is to protect the, the rest of the players in that game and all the other players around the world that are playing in the next week, next month, the next year. When tackled, the tackling remembers, ooh, remember that red card? They gave a red card in the World Cup semi-final, I better not tip a player over onto his head, his feet up and drop him. To make sure that when I come into a tackle, I'm targeting down, right? Because we now know concussions are potentially deadly, right? CTE is a problem. And I, you know, I worry for players like George North, what the future is going to be. I worry for players like Kieran Reed what their future is going to be. Sam Kane. We've already seen players in New Zealand, like, um, was it Ben Afiaki, who had to call time on an all-black career at age 26? Look, it's definitely the right thing. Um, and, yeah, I, I've got no problems with it. Um, just the, the media controversy has just gone too far. So the thing is, you separate out what's good, what we've seen that's good. You separate out great emphasis on protecting the head and the because otherwise you have mothers watching it, seeing it happen, and it doesn't get a red card, and they go, I don't want, I don't want to scam. It's good. So we take those out, and then separate is the ineptness of the B, right? They have made some really poor decisions. They made some poor organizational decisions. They have not been consistent in how they've implemented some of the uh, red card system, right? So players like, for instance, research getting three weeks, whereas somebody else like the two um, Italians also getting three weeks makes no sense, right? Reese Hodge was, was brave but clumsy. The other and, two... Well, you, 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 okay, and you've also got... I mean, Bundyaki's gone and got three weeks as well, um, with where you could argue that he was 
yeah, basically um, didn't. It, it was last minute because they were both both he was going for the ball and then it was it wasn't a it wasn't really a lined up tackle. Um, so in some ways, it's been consistent that it's been three weeks. But for anyone who touches the head, no matter why. But yeah, I do agree that those that those um, the French ones is is is, is a bit um, is is confusing because it was much more deliberate. The um, I, I'm going to disagree on the, uh, that's the, the look, there's, there's always human nature involved. So there will be always be an element of, um, uh, of variability and, 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 uh, and not total consistency. Um, so I disagree with you on, on how badly water have been done in that kind of state, in that, in that kind of side of things. But it's, um, it's upsetting two examples. examples. I mean, the, the one that two, and I know I've said this and you told me I must calm down about this. But the one that continues to irk me is how uh, Moody, Joe Moody, who hits a player from behind with a drop shoulder in the back of the head and neck. How and, and that's in the rock area. And the, and the rock area will be the next area that people are getting lots of red cards for. At the moment, yeah. it's tackles, right? They, that, that, that'll be the next battle. The next Rugby World Cup, we'll see lots of uh, rock red cards. That, that, that's my prediction. No, it's, it's, um, so... Uh, Severe was in the tackle and he was coming in to help tackle. So he was coming into a tackle with the shoulder down. So it's it's that. It's uh, scheduling uh, their reserve uh, venues in case they had typhoons for only 20 kilometers away, which makes no sense. It's scheduling some of their, um, their final games to be refereed, not by questionable referees, but not protecting their referees by giving them to ones where there's no potential clash of interest. It's just a litany of just really basic, simple, common sense decisions that they've mucked up, right? And that's where we, as fans, go, come on, guys. Surely rugby can run, be run better than this. Okay. Um, and again, I, I, I don't think that's... Having any sort of contingency for 40 games during the pool stage was, was going to be logistic, was, was, was viable, and they should have said there was no contingency for, for those ones personally. But um, point. The point is, if it's not viable, say there's nothing. Yeah. Don't say that you've got one, we've got a contingency game that's in case we have bad weather, and then we're going to play it in a stadium that's 22 kilometers away if we have bad weather. But we've, uh, again, is. Has, has World Rugby come out and said that that was the stadium? Or is that a hearsay thing that we've heard again from? Uh, so, you as the Mr. Uh, Mr. Moore, right? Please, will you do some investigative journalism and find out for us? <laughs> I'll see what I can do. But, yeah, um, so I, I know there's – and I, I understand and I can see there's a lot of people – on, on your side of the fence that are that are very upset with the the administration side of things um, I personally would give them more slack but that's just yeah that, that, that that's that, that's comes down to comes down to opinion and why we have more than one person on here to those of you who are watching and are upset right my advice to you would be get involved right we are upset because we love this game. Right? And there is something special about this game. Whether you've played it or whether you haven't and you've come to it as a spectator, 
it is a special, special game, right? I had a friend, I'll tell this story very quickly because we're running out of time, a friend of mine who is a pastor in the United States who went to visit West Point Academy, which is the college for the U.S. Army uh, officer candidates, right? And they do a degree there, they exit as officers into the U.S. Army and they have to serve a minimum amount of time in the Army. Very famous West Point Academy. And while they were touring, the, the, the guy that was taking them around the campus said, took them to the sports fields and said, here, you'll see the cadets are playing a game, which is the preferred game of choice at West Point, even though they do have a, a team that plays high-level college football. So this is the game of choice at West Point because we believe this most resembles combat, this game, because the enemy is constantly coming at you and it most resembles the ability to make decisions under pressure, teamwork, sub subverting the self for the good of the whole, and leadership under constant pressure and under fire and rugby. Right? So rugby is a special, we love it. If you are upset with the expression of the game, get involved. Get down to your local and volunteer. And you say, how does that affect? Well, rugby still has an amateur ethos in many, many countries. And although in the UK and in France, many of these clubs are owned by wealthy, wealthy owners, you can still influence how well rugby is run at that club. And you can still be a force for good in that club. And who knows, maybe you'll be elected onto the board of that club. And maybe as you prove yourself and you, and you serve, maybe you'll then be elected onto the board of rugby in your country. It can happen. But if you're upset about what's happening, get involved. Yep. Um, the moving on to some of the hair thing we, we asked for feedback on. Um, clearly, people actually that used to, I mean, if you're in New Zealand, you get used to mullet. So, yeah, yeah Jack, Jack Mullet Jack, give you. Um, Kaisler's mullet um, from, from Uruguay. Yeah, I, you, you kind of see so many of them as soon as you get outside of Auckland in New Zealand. So, yeah, I, I get that. Um, but um, I can't remember what Peter L's haircut was like for Japan. So, uh, but anyway. Oh, the one wing, I must admit, there's two, there's two candidates for the bottle brush, the toilet brush haircuts. Right, award, and that is um, Audrey Sevilla, and mm -hmm. the right wing for Japan. They both look like a toilet brush. They both need somebody to sit down with them and say, "Son, lad, mate." Okay. The, the emperor is naked. <laughs> two. Okay, we have two. Two. One brave one quickly. Um, Ollie Brown, Japan was selected to host the after 2011 World Cup. Why host it in typhoon season? Because this is the slot in the world calendar that they say is where the Rugby World Cup has to be held. You can't move it. This is where it is. Um, and it's just a matter of uh, that for Japan, that's what the weather's like there. The, the, the world, Rugby World Cup is always in this slot. It's the only space for it in the global calendar. Uh, it can't be moved just because of the weather conditions in the country. I'm afraid. Sorry. Okay, so Ali, I'm, I'm going to disagree with Paul here because your question is like the, the, the little kid saying the emperor is naked and asking the question. It is like 
somebody saying, has Jack Goodhue got no mates that will sit, sit him down? <laughs> Buddy, in 20 years' time, when they show footage of you playing, you're going to bury your head in your hands and say, why did nobody tell me, right? You are asking the right questions. It's not that they cannot move it, right? Of course it could be moved, but it would require a world rugby season. Yep. The problem is not that it is impossible. Of course it's not impossible. It's not impossible, but it was not possible in this time frame for this year. It would... Yeah, but they could have if they had instituted a world rugby season, if they were working together and they had a formulated plan for the good of the game then they could have done it. So your question, I believe, is totally valid, right? They could have done something if they were working together, but unfortunately, they don't want to. There's not the desire to do that. And that's a whole other discussion that, Paul, you've promised to have after Yes, exactly. So, um, going forward. But no, it, 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 under the current um, way that things are set up as far as calendars work, uh, it couldn't be moved for Japan. You can't have it at this window for England and previously for New, for New Zealand and then change it for Japan. This is the window it's in and the country's bid to host it in this window. They don't, it's yes. not, yeah, um, no, that's, that's how it's. Yes. But I'm saying um, previous World Cups have been held in June or July. They were held in June and July in South Africa uh, in 95. It's possible. It's just you've got to have the desire to do it. Right? It's, that's as simple as it. It's not impossible. It's just that's the only slot they would give them. And that's a decision thing. Right? So, again, yep. it comes back to he's asking the right question. He's asking absolutely the right question. It comes back to... But our final serious topic, because I say this was... I was just quick. It's not Japan's fault. It's not Japan's fault at all. No, no, no. It's, it's World so, Rugby. As, as a, no, not World Rugby as an institution, but as in all the countries. Um, yes. That yeah. do. Yeah. Um, but so the last year's question um, for teams that had um, cancelled games is that an advantage and that they're more rested going to the quarterfinals or a disadvantage in that they go in undercooked? Uh, I, I have to believe that on the balance it's an advantage, right? Because they're in full rugby cycle now, they've been training for months. They're not going to have more cohesion because they had one more game. They are more likely to have incurred an injury. And those who are a bit banged up, that have some niggles that are battling to heal or some bruises that are battling to, swelling is battling to come down and they keep coming up every time they play, they have more time to recover. So on the balance of probabilities, I would say it benefits those who had games cancelled on this last weekend. On the whole, I agree. I think there are certain individual, certain certain situations where teams would have liked a bit more game time. I think um, All Blacks versus Italy. I think it's All Blacks would have liked more game time for Retallick and for Goodhue to get yes. more game time in because coming back from injury. So I think they would yes. actually like to have played on Saturday. Whereas mm. your England France, the last thing they needed was to beat each other up just before the quarterfinals. So they'll mm. they'll be glad they didn't get the game. Mm. Um, but I, say, I think New Zealand would actually have liked to have played. Um, but else? in a game, you don't know the condition of the other 29 players in that squad. So it might have been 
a good idea for those two, for Retallick and Gurdjieff. But on the balance of the rest of the squad, it might be exactly what they needed. Yep. Um, the uh, and who else got cancelled? Uh, oh, the yeah, Italy. Obviously, Namibia and Canada would have loved to have played, and that's that for me is the saddest cancellation. Is that yes. um, Namibia and Canada didn't get to get to play, and that could have been Namibia's first ever Rugby World Cup win. Yes, and um, Namibia have come on; they've improved. Uh, their scrum half against uh, New Zealand, excellent. It's a good performance. Good on them. And a lot of credit needs to go to Canada for their response in taking time out to help uh, the community and get involved in some of the work that they've done to recover from the typhoon. So they had that huge I think, I think disappointment. Actually Canada and Namibia, I think, both, I think both teams came out together. Uh, oh, brilliant. I mean, that's, that's, rugby. that's the rugby community. That's the ethos. That I, one of the things that makes rugby very special. Yep. And And... Huge credit to the two of them, no? They didn't throw their hands in the air. We were robbed of the opportunity. Because this is huge, eh? I mean, as we all think, oh, it's great. Big thing to play for England at a World Cup and New Zealand and South Africa, whatever it may be. But for these um, players in these small countries, it's maybe even bigger, right? It's like the the Sorry. point of their career. Absolutely. For, the, for these and, two, and I say... And, and in fact, Namibia never won a game. This, this, this was their Rugby World Cup final for these two teams. They weren't mm-hmm. going to beat Italy. They definitely weren't going to beat South Africa or New Zealand. Um, mm-hmm. So, they, yeah, this was their Rugby World Cup final. Um, the other point, I, I, I put a tweet out saying that um, it would be really cool if they had um, they tried to quickly arrange a midweek game for Namibia versus Canada as a charity fundraiser. For that would be good. Release, relief, not as a rearranged game because they can't yeah. do that it's unfair on the other teams yeah. but I think it would have been good for them good as a, to do it that way instead um, would have been cool I think that would have been terrific and I think that looking at the response of the crowds I think Japanese fans have been fantastic yeah. um, I think they would have got huge support for that yep absolutely so um, yeah, I put that out as, out as a tweet today but yeah I think that would have been cool I don't think they have done that Sorry? That's a very good idea, Paul. Hey, you know, once a year, I do get them. Sorry, to <laughs> sound sort of surprised. <laughs> um, one of the things we've talked about during this show has been the closing of the gap between Tier 1 and Tier 2. I have done a bunch of analysis of the last three Rugby World Cups, looking at the scores between all the Tier 1 and Tier 2 teams, um, seeing what the average points difference is, the maximum score, the minimum score, um, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I'll be putting a video out for my supporters tomorrow about that. So have a look out for that. And you can find a supporter of Driving Mall at drivingmall.com forward slash Patreon. Link down, sorry, patreon.com forward slash Driving Mall. Link down below in the comments. John, thank you so much for being a uh, uh, for, for having a chat tonight. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming around to watch and bring in the beer. Yep, I'll be I'll be around this weekend as well for four games. For some, for, um, we'll be doing live, doing doing post match reactions as soon as the interviews are over. Not as soon as whistles finished. Nice, um, what would we call it? Uh, post match counselling in case that that uh, England game doesn't go well. So I've got my jersey ready. I've, I'll be I'll be in white. So uh, thank you, everybody. And you. Sorry. 
Your tighty whities. My tighty whities. And also, um, just to let people know, tomorrow night will be the All Blacks edition where I'll be letting you know um, by stat attack how many wheat bicks um, that uh, Kieran Reed eats uh, um, and Sam Kane and Matt Todd. So you can have a guess as to who eats the most wheat bicks. Um, I've got a few of them here, and that will be our game. Our game tomorrow night. Crucial information. Crucial information. We'll be talking about, yes, number of wheat bicks the players read. Um, and we're not sponsored, by the way. But Weebix, if you'd fancy giving me some free from some free breakfast cereals, much appreciated. Um, and with that, good night, everybody. Good night.